teaching these last few weeks about how to deal with a, about how to deal with a threat. And so, but I'm changing a little bit. I want to change my title instead of this being how to deal with a threat three, the sequel. The title of this message this morning is you still have to fight. Okay. So I love history. The only class I liked in school was history and PE. The only two I liked. And so, uh, I don't know. I've just always been infatuated with history. And as I study about history and you, you really go back and you look at, uh, World War II and what took place and how it happened and how this went. The, the men and women who went in, were born at that time in the 40s and went into World War II, they called them the greatest generation. And, and if you really begin to look at it, and a lot of it, I think, there could have been some amount of just a lure that, yeah, hey, we're going over the world, you know, everything's going to be easy. But there was a lot of people who, because of the attack on Pearl Harbor, because of what happened, joined the services with an intent that they were willing to lay down their life for the country. And I believe those days are gone. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, a, I'm not optimistic in, at all about, about Americans today and willing to fight. We've lived in too much comfort. We've lived in too much of a place where we just want everything to just be handed to us. We want everything free. No one wants to have to work. I don't know if y'all have uh, seen this. This, there was a video out, and it was a true video of a young lady, I don't know, she's probably in her early 20s, complaining because the company that she works for will not recognize her time blindness. Have y'all seen that? So time blindness was basically she can't get to work on time, and so rather than admitting that she just can't get up and won't set the alarm clock to get up and go to work, she has something called time blindness, and they need to be sensitive of it that she can't get there. And I'm like, man, this is where we're at today, you know? And so point being, in the Christian realm and in the Christian world, a lot of Christians, they don't want to have to fight. We want, we, we, we want to just throw up a prayer to God and he then to just make it all go away. We don't want to fight. But everything in the Christian, in, in, in the, the scriptures throughout Christendom all has to do with are you going to fight now the problem is is sometimes we get mixed up on what we're fighting because we start trying to fight flesh and blood and flesh and blood is not our fight but there is a devil there is an enemy he is an enemy to all of y'all if you believe in God you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior he hates you he wants to destroy you he is your enemy and he will do everything he can to defeat you to get you to quit give up stop, forsake God, and just lay down and die. Hello? He will threaten you. He will, 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 will do everything that's in his possibility to get you to even doubt that God even exists or he cares for you or he loves you. However, he can torment you because he knows his end, and his end is he's going to hell, and he wants to take as many with him as he can. But you got to be willing to fight. And if you're not willing to fight, for what's yours as a Christian, then you're going to lose. He's going to take it from you. Do you hear me? Look at the person beside you and say, oh, pastor, he's serious now. If you're not willing to fight, it's going to be taken from you. And in the world today, people don't want to stand up and they don't want to fight. They want everything to be done to make everything just live in their comfort and look at their whatever. Hello? So 
But you got to understand something. I'm going to teach you. Some, I want to teach you six points this morning. I think there's six about fighting, about how David. And it's going to go back to the story of David and Goliath, but about how you have to prepare yourself for a fight. Okay. Now, I've been in a lot of battles in life, and I've been in a battle that no one really knows about. I didn't ex- tell anybody anything, but I've been in a battle for the last five years. And in this last five years, I mean, it was a battle for my existence, my family's existence. And early in the battle, early when it happened, the Lord spoke to me, and he said, you won. So it those words pl- as plain as if he was standing in the room with me and would have been standing there physically and said, you won. I heard those words hit my heart, you won. But I did not see the victory till five years. What I want you to understand something about when you're in a battle for a fight, for your, for, 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 the things of God and the principles of God. When you're in a battle for the fight like that, you, you can read the print. This is what happens to Christians. They see the, pro- the promises. They see the, the principles of God. They hear the great messages. They see these things. And then they're like, oh, but God, why hasn't it changed? I prayed. I believed. I didn't see anything changed. But that's not how it works in the spiritual kingdom. Hello? You got to be, be a fighter. You got to be mean, ugly, nasty, teeth gritting, spitting, biting. Listen to me. I have, I, 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 don't, I don't, I'm not saying this in a bragging way. I'm just telling you. When I was a young man, the coach that was in, was my high school coach, football coach. He came to me one day and he told me, he said, you know, Robert, he said, you're not very big. And if I was you, I'd lift weights as much as I could. I'd get as strong as I could, but always know you're going to be one of those kids that are going to have to pick up a stick and fight because you can't fight fair because you're going to get whipped. Told me that. And so my attitude kind of changed that day. I determined that, that it was not the Marcus of Queensbury rules that you fought with. It was who was still standing when the fight was over. So I got to where I didn't care if I did use a stick of rocks, throw dirt, do whatever I could, bluff. didn't make me no difference. I was just going to win. Well, I'm glad that I learned those lessons physically in my youth so that I could apply it spiritually in dealing with the devil because I want him to know when he's coming against me I'm going to fight him tooth and toenail and I'll bite him I'll scratch him I'll spit on him I'll do anything I can I'll hurt him any way that it's possible I am not going to go down easy he knows that when he picks a fight with me he is going to get all that I can give him y'all with me all right But God, through this whole situation, always is trying to teach us. He's trying to show us our weakness. I watched an amazing um, little short video about a, I can't even call his name because I got someone thrown with everything else. He was a Russian MMA fighter. And uh, he was set to be like the champion MMA fighter. And his father was his coach. And his father pulls him out, and he says, no, uh, you're not going to go for the championship. You're not. I mean, he was set like he looked like he could win. He was that good. And his father pulled him out and said, no, 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 you're not going to do this. I'm gonna, I, you're going to go for one year to study Russian ballet. This guy's an MMA fighter. And his father said, you will go for one year and learn Russian dance. And so his son said, okay, Dad, I trust you. And so for one year, he studied Russian dancing. Now, that sounds bizarre. But when he came back after a year, 
His footwork was unbelievable. Nobody could ever control him, and he instantly won the championship because he had the footwork that his father saw that he needed in him in order to truly be a great champion. Sometimes God's looking at you, and he's saying, you know, they need to learn a little footwork. They need to learn something. So through this battle, God didn't bring the battle. You just happened to get yourself in the battle. God didn't put no battle on me. But through it, he said, okay, Robert, let's learn something through this. Let me help you grow in faith. Let me help you get stronger. Let me help you in this situation understand how I'm going to move and what I'm going to do. And, oh, by the way, let me help you get some things out of your heart. Let me, let, let me help you get some things straight in your mind. Let me help you get some to right verbiage coming out of your mouth. You see, he wants it through everything we're walking through, every ordeal we're walking through in this fallen world we live in full of evil people. He wants to teach us. He wants to help us. He wants us to grow through it so that we become, listen to me, a better fighter. He said, well, how does fighting and love go together? It does. Listen to me. If you love something, you will fight for it. I saw a little video the other day of a bear. Wasn't a great big bear. It's one of them little black bears, but it's a good-sized bear charging in a man's house trying to eat his dog. And the guy gets a chair and fights the bear out of his house to protect his little dog. And I thought to myself, I think I'd have just you're on your own. Fight a bear for a little old dog. And I thought to myself, that guy must really love the dog. I mean, he just grabbed the chair and he just attacked this bear and started just hollering at the bear and hitting the bear with the chair and the bear's, I mean, it's a fight to save his little dog. You don't think that's not love? To walk in love, you got to learn how to fight. And the Holy Ghost wants to teach you. Go to Psalms 100. Get your Bibles out. Go to Psalms 144, verse 1. Now, I just want you to know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, my brain's kind of slow this morning. <clears throat> but I don't know if I said this just a second ago. But in this fight that I was in for five years, and I heard God at the beginning of it say, I won. I walked with that for five years, but I didn't win till last week or this week. Because of this, Psalms 144, 1. Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Why would God be training you for war? Because we're going to have to fight to take what Jesus bought and paid for us. He's my loving kindness. He's my fortress, my high tower, my deliverer, my shield, and the one in whom I take refuge, who subdues my people under me. Look at this scripture. God teaching you to do battle? You see, Christians get it so wrong, we get to thinking, oh, well, we're just supposed to love. and we're not. No, but you've got to do battle with spiritual warfare. You've got to learn how to, to recognize the enemy, recognize his plots and his plans, and then jump in there on top of it and defeat it. may not be instant, but you've got to learn how to walk in that victory out. So the first step is simply this. Let's go to 1 Samuel 17, 40. Back to my story about Samson, Samson, not Samson, David and Goliath. 1 Samuel 17, 40. I don't want to read the whole story. It'll take too long. It says, and then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. And he put them in the shepherd's bag in his pouch in which he had. And his sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistines. So the Philistines came and, and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. <clears throat> and when the Philistines looked about and saw David, he disdained him. 
for he was only a youth, ruddy, good-looking. So the Philistines said to David, Am I a dog that you come out to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give you your flesh I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistines, You come to me with a sword and with a spear, but I have a javelin, and I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. The first thing you've got to understand is the enemy wants to attack your authority. He wants you to believe that you have no rights no privileges, no promises to stand on. That you're fighting this battle against him as you. Do you hear what I'm saying? When David went to Goliath, he said, man, I'm, I'm not coming to you in my strength or my belt. I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. You see, folks, yes, you are who you are. You are your human person, okay? But you got to understand that you're a blood-bought Christian. You're a blood-bought child of God. The greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And Jesus has delegated you authority to walk out your life here in this world in the kingdom he's establishing through you. If you don't know who you are in Christ, the enemy will immediately talk you out of what's yours. He'll twist it around. He'll get it over here and say, well, you know, God's the one that sent this sickness to you. He's trying to show you something. See, God's trying to teach you something. Or something will happen and... And the enemy will come up and say, well, you know, God's using this because he knows what you did the other day. And so this is kind of like the punishment. That this is the curse that's come upon you. The Bible says a curse without a cause cannot alight. Okay? Well, if Galatians 3.16 is true that I have been redeemed from the curse of the law, then that means that no curse can alight on me because Jesus has redeemed me from the curse. So if I've been redeemed from the curse, how can a curse come? But see, the devil wants to twist. There's whole denominations built on literally keeping you under the curse. Hello? I mean, there's some Christian churches that, man, I'm so glad I was never raised in with some of the crazy doctrines that they have and some of the crazy thinking that they have. You know, you do one thing wrong, man. You're, man, God's after you. He's, he's trying to kill you, throw cancer on you, kill you, put you, fill you full of, give you diabetes. Teach you a lesson. And it's the most ridiculous thing in the world. It doesn't line up with the scriptures at all. All right? But there's so many people that are under that. And then they don't know because they never read their Bible. They just listen to some wacky preacher preach. And then they get that in their heart. And then they go out and tell others about it. And then they just become the, 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 you know, the propagandist for, for, for the curse. And then they just tell everybody. And then they teach everybody. And everybody's like, Really? And they suck it up because they never read the Bible and they just eat it all up and get, get you know, because people are, don't know what the word says. Listen to me, I'm, I'm telling you this morning, and I know I have taught y'all and taught y'all and taught y'all and taught y'all, but you better know your authority in Christ. If you don't know your authority in Christ, go look it up. Write it down. Stick it on your refrigerator. When you go by it every morning, look at it, make a confession. Stick one on your mirror in your bedroom. I mean, in your bathroom, and when you get up in the morning, go in there and look at those things and confess them. So you remember and know who you are in Christ. Because if you just think, folks, listen to me, if you just think it's just you, well, I'm sorry, you don't have any authority. But if you begin to get the revelation on the inside of you that you know who you are in Christ, 
Well, then all of a sudden everything changes because you're not dealing with your authority. You're dealing with his authority. And when God says he shall supply your needs according to his riches, then all of a sudden you're not doing it by your riches out of your pocket. You're doing it out of his riches out of his pocket. <laughs> Big difference. The second one is uh, Goliath said to, to David, he said, you come to me with sticks and stones. You come to me, you know, with just your little sling. You come to me like this, like Dave, uh, Goliath was offended that David w- didn't look like a greater warrior, right? He's just a kid with his staff and a sling and a few little stones in his pocket. Didn't even have a pocket full of them, only had five, okay? The second thing is, listen to me, the devil is going to attack is your method. Now listen to me, I have said this for so many years. Listen, as long as you're praying and you're reading your Bible and your prayers are based upon the Word of God, not just lay me down to sleep prayers or prayers just, you know, of, of woe is me, Lord, right? That I can't tell you, look, if you want to go light candles and, and kneel on, throw pinto beans down on the floor and kneel on them so they hurts more and it makes you feel like you're more effective, well, then more power to you if that's what you want to do. Just don't try to put that on me, okay? If you like to pray at night, glory. You like to pray in the mornings, glory. You got a noontime prayer time going on, glory. You like to pray when you're in the bathroom, pray. You like to pray outside, pray. Just don't let the devil attack your method. Get your method as something that you are consistent with and that you are consistently moving forward with. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Listen to me. I... The enemy knew when he was going to fight me that he was going to, that I, my greatest, I know what my strength is. I'm just hard-headed and I'm just consistent. I just get up all the time. I do everything the same. Folks, listen to me. I'm a very boring eater. I will eat the same thing. I will eat the same thing for breakfast, lunch, and supper my whole life. I don't care. My wife says, well, what do you want? I mean, we need to do something. I said, man, I don't care. It doesn't matter. I just want to be full. I just don't want to be hungry. I'm not like, oh, gosh, we've got to have this, we've got to have that. long time ago, I quit letting food be dominant in my life, and I just want to be nourished. I just want to have some strength. If they could get it in a toothpaste tube, and I could just squirt it out on the deal and eat it, I'd do it. I don't care. I don't want to, I don't, I don't have to go through the, I just want to do it. I'm a very consistent person. But I can tell you one thing. is the enemy knows I am not leaving my house in the morning until I have prayed and I have read my scriptures. I'm not opening the door and going out. Well, I'll go out to pray, but I'm saying leave to go to work. Not going to do it. I am going to sit there. I'm going to beat him over the head right off the bat first thing in the morning. Some days, listen to me, I have more enthusiasm than others. Some days I'm like a ninja wielding the sword of the word of God. And other days, I mean, it's all I can do to get it to my shoulder. But bless God, I got it. And I'll cut something. Y'all with me? I'm going to be consistently there and pound his head every morning. All right? You've got to get that in your life because God's looking for faithful servants. If you're going to win these fights, you're going to get in the fight and you're going to win. You've got to be consistent. So I don't, I'm not even, I'm not even knocking you. I'm just saying be consistent. If it's consistent 10 minutes, then be a consistent 10 minutes all the time. Don't just, well, I didn't have time. The devil will make sure you never have time. If you yield to him, you're, you're, you know, okay, I'm going to pray 
I, I do better praying in the mornings. You're going to pray in the mornings. Well, and if you yield it to him, you're not getting it back. You will not get it back. He will steal it from you. Then every morning that phone call is going to come or that something's going to come or something's going to happen. It's going to steal it from you. But you find that place. Don't let him, don't let the enemy steal your method, okay? Because he's going to attack it. Don't let him steal it. You pray going down the road. It doesn't make any difference. I mean, I hope that you are capable enough to drive and pray. you got to keep your eyes open. You can't close your eyes and pray. But you can drive down the road and pray. I have great times driving down the road and praying and talking to the Lord. It's up to you. But just be consistent. Don't only pray when you're going somewhere because then the next day you won't have to go somewhere. All right? you got to get that consistent time, that method, and you get it in there. All right? Okay. Uh, number three. I said it like this. Call it like you see it. In 1 Samuel 17, 45 is where I'm at. It says, And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear, and with the javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. The day, this day, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you, and I want to take your head from you. And this day I will give your carcass to the camp of the Philistines, to the birds of the air, and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Now, that pretty bold talk for a little boy standing in front of a nine-foot giant with nothing but a sling in his hand, right? I love the way he says it. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you. I want to take your head off. I want to take your head from you. This day. He's standing there. I mean, come on, folks. Imagine. Use your imagination a little bit. And imagine a 17-year-old kid standing there looking up. At at least a nine-foot giant saying, I'm going to take your head off. He doesn't even have a sword. What I'm saying to you is, in fighting, you have to call it like you see it. But what's inside your heart? Because see, your face should determine how you see it. In your battling with the enemy, in your battling with whatever it is, you know, your, 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 your wife, your, the wife is saying the husband is a jerk. Then quit calling him a jerk. And call it the way you see it. Say, I declare he's a man of God. I declare he's faithful. I declare today he's under conviction. I declare today that he's going to be a man that prophesies in the house, prophesies over the kids. He's a great provider. Man, that guy's, this is, what are you calling it? You have to call it like you see it. David said to the giant, I'm going to take your head off. How are you fighting your enemies? Whining? Crying? Just telling God how the threat's talking to you? <clears throat> I mean, okay, come on. Let me just put it this way. Marriage. I'll give you a little marriage counseling here. If every morning in marriage and marriage counseling, you would go and sit down at the table and you would look over at your wife and you would say, hello, beautiful. How are you this morning? God, I love you. You are the most amazing woman on the face of the earth. And she would look at you and say, hello, my knight in shining armor. You are amazing. I love the way your muscles bulge from your arm. You are so amazing. There is nothing you cannot do. How are you going to fight over that? Hello? How are you going to get in a fight like that? You're going to get in a fight. Some, they, I mean, you're mad at each other. And you just went in there and said, hello, my knight in shining armor. I'd say, what? What? Yes, one whose muscles bulge from his arm. For I can see that you can leap over a wall. And then he's going to turn around and say, <clears throat> okay, uh, we're going that direction. All right. Oh, you virtuous woman. One who buys and sells land. 
one who is amazing. You see what I'm saying? What are you seeing? What is your faith seeing in your life? If you're just waking up and saying, I can't believe I married that stupid idiot. My mama told me I shouldn't have married him, but I went and married him. He's an idiot. Idiot all around. Well, then I want to tell you something. What's going to happen to you is you're going to be married to an idiot. And you're the one that called it into existence. And you're going to get to heaven. And you're going to look at Jesus. And when your film's getting ready to go by of your life, and you're giving accountability to him, say, oh, now here it comes right here, Lord. This is when I made my big mistake, and you sent that idiot in my life, and I married him. And then you're going to see the real underneath playing that shows how if you'd have called those things that be not as though they were, that you wouldn't have been married to an idiot. Romans 4.17, it says, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who believes God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things that do not exist as though they did. Now, the premise of this you find back in Genesis 17.5, where God changed Abram's name to Abraham. Now, you got to understand this. God spoke a promise to Abraham, or Abram at the time, and said, you're going to be the father of many nations. Go outside. Look up at the stars. As many of the stars you see, that's how many kids you're going to have. He was 80 at this time. Nothing happens. Now he's 90. God comes to him and says, oh, nothing's happening. I'm going to have to change your name. I'm going to change your name from Abram, which means father, to Abraham, which means father of many nations. So all of a sudden, Abram, Abram, father, who that was embarrassing enough, only had one kid, but it wasn't even by his wife, right? Has to walk around and say, oh, excuse me, my name's not Abram anymore. My name, God said, my name is Abraham. Father of many nations, that's who I am. Everybody's like, you're old as the hills, and you, you ain't even got kids, and you're going to walk around saying, I'm the father of many nations. But not until God got Abraham's speech changed, Till he was calling those things that be not as though they are, did it happen? So in these battles, you see, God's trying to get you lined up. God's trying to get you to change and trying to get you to understand. Abraham heard the word of the Lord. He got the promise, but he didn't see the promise coming about. God had to make some alterations in his life. If Abraham kept whining and said, well, I'll make a wish mill, my, my heir over here. And God said, no, 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 it's coming from your own loins. That's who you got to have your own kid. And he's like, well, why, Lord? Just make this one. Just do this one. Just help this. See, that's why we're praying a lot of times. We're trying to tell God what to do. And he said, no, no, no. Through this battle you're in, I want to, to, to help you, correct you, get your, get your thinking and your speech right, and get your understanding right so that you can be the father of many nations. But you're going to change what you're saying. That was Abraham's problem. The minute he changed what he said, kid was born. But there was a lot of years went by. A lot of years went by. The fourth one here. Here you go, the fourth one here. In 1 Samuel 17, again, verse 48. 1 Samuel 17, 48. So it was that when the Philistine arose and he came and he drew near to meet David, that David hurried and he ran towards the enemy to meet the Philistine. The, the, the fourth thing here is, listen to me, do not hesitate. Do not procrastinate. You know the story, I believe it's over in, I believe it's in Luke 10 where the, 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 the farmer, he had a great crop that year, the rich man, and he had a great crop and everything was big. And he said, I'm going to build me some more barns. I want to store this all up because, man, God has blessed me so much. I got so much. I'm going to build them barns and fill them up, and then I'm going to be set. And he said, 
full tonight your life was required of you, your soul was required of you. And he died before he got it done. What happened was, is the man planned too late for his future. Listen to me. When a battle arises, beat that sucker down. When an enemy sticks his head up, do not hesitate. Jump on him. You say, well, I don't know if I could beat him. Well, you can beat him. You may not learn, but just jump on top and start biting some hide off somewhere. Do you know that they have, listen, they have interviewed career criminals. This is true. This is factual. They've interviewed career criminals and asking them, like, who do you look for to take advantage of? What are you, what are you, what are you looking at? And every one of them, the overall overwhelming thing was, is they're looking for someone who looks like an easy target that's not going to be aggressive, that's not going to, you know, fight. There you go. That's what they're looking for. And so <clears throat> you might as well just let the devil know right off the bat that if he wants to mess with you, he's going to get everything you got. Even if it's just crazy, crazy screaming lunacy, he's going to have an earful by the time he gets through with you. But see, what we tend to do as Christians, something arises and we're like, oh, no. Uh, I don't want to have to go through this. I want everything to work out. I don't want to have any problems. God, can't you fix this? I didn't want to do anything with this. Instead of this I said, wow, man, you want a piece of me? I tell you, you came to the right place. I'll rip you. I'll tear you every which way. I am going to write a book on how to defeat you for even messing with me. And the devil's like, what? But if you procrastinate and you don't run towards it, you pull away from the fight, you'll get defeated. Why do you think there was a rebel war cry? In fighting in battle, they screamed like wild people that they were, and it threw fear into the armies as they were running to them. You should be the person that rises up and said, oh, man, I'm just waiting. I've been wanting to practice up. Now, inside your heart, you might be saying, oh, God. But what comes out of your mouth and your, your posture, it better be you're running to the battle, okay? Be just be vigilant to just jump on it with everything you got. Okay, number five. I'm coming to a close here. Y'all just hang with me. Number five is found in verse 50. 1 Samuel 17, 50. <clears throat> so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. And he struck the Philistine and he killed him. But there was no sword in his hand. See, again, David said he was going to take his head off. Did he not? But he didn't even have a pocket knife with him. Hello? He didn't even have a pocket knife, but there was no sword in his hand. Therefore, David ran. He stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. <clears throat> okay, here's one. Here's one to theorize. When Goliath was hit with the stone, was he dead? How many say, no, he wasn't dead? Raise your hand. How many say, yes, he was dead? Raise your hand. Eh, we're 60, 40. I have no idea. I would just be guessing if I told you. Maybe he, it did say that the stone sunk in his forehead, so that's a pretty good lick. And I really kind of believe when he did the stone that there was an angel there, put a little extra zip on it. <laughs> no. I kind of think that. I don't know. You know, he may have just been really good with his sword. I mean, with his sling. But either way, whether Goliath was dead laying on the ground or not, there's a principle here, okay? And the principle simply is this. You got to get the job done, and you don't want to take any chances. So cut the thing's head off. 
That's like taking a rattlesnake and you killed it and you said it was dead and you didn't cut its head off. A rattlesnake can still bite you. Do you know that? I hope you know that. I hope that was lesson 101 you learned as a small child around here. You need to cut the head off the snake because it'll bite you. The muscle reflex inside of a rattlesnake can move and work around and bite you. Hello? When he's dead. I had a friend that killed a rattlesnake and thought it'd be fun to take it home and skin it and eat it. And so he cut the head off. This is a true story. He skinned the thing. He brought it home. He put it in the wife's sink, okay, to wash it. Went off to go do something. He came back, and it was coiled with its head, no head, off of it, sitting like this up in the sink, just from the muscles in that thing twisting and moving around. And the thing is sitting up in there. I said, man, I'm glad that wasn't me. I'd have probably shot my sink with a shotgun right there to say, it's alive, you know. This last point is simply this. Cut its head off. Make sure that you have completely finished the victory. Make sure there's no other place that the enemy is going to come back. You have won the victory. Cut its head off. End it. No mercy. No quarter. Because I promise you, you ladies who don't want to shoot an attacker, you have too much mercy. Just want to shoot them on the leg. That sucker will crawl over there and get you. You better shoot him and cut his head off. Pastor, I can't believe you say something like that. You better do something. I'm telling you what. You ain't messing around. Because if you don't, it'll come back somehow. If you just think you can fight the enemy and just kind of push him back and all, he'll leave me alone. That sucker will come back. You want to cut his head off. All right? Last scripture. 2 Timothy 1.7. You know it. God didn't give you a spirit of fear. God didn't make you as a Christian. And that word fear there, it really means to be timid. God didn't make you timid as a Christian. He didn't make you fearful as a Christian. I don't know where all this stuff came about, about the kumbaya and the wearing the sandals and the putting the robe on and everybody's just all love and peace and all stuff. I don't know where that came about. God called you to be a warrior. And I'm telling you what, when Jesus comes back, he's coming back as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he ain't having no mercy. He's coming back with a rod in his hand. And he is going to put a whoop on them. God didn't make you and give you a spirit of fear. He gave you a spirit of power. And that word power is the same word. It's deutimus. It's the word we throw out all of the New, the New Testament that means that explosive power. It's actually, it doesn't mean like the stick of dynamite. It literally means the the. the force that's caused from the explosion that power in you and love which is that it's not just enough power and love go together folks listen to me you got to wake up love does not mean you are a, a, a doormat love does not mean that you just let the enemy do what he wants to do no love means you're gonna see the power of God and what Jesus did for you on the cross and the love that he gave up for you that you're gonna have it in and you're gonna rescue people you're gonna live in victory you're gonna walk out everything Jesus bought and paid for Oof. one last thing so as parents and grandparents you buy your 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 grandchildren or children something and then you go out and you see it outside in the yard tore up by the dog Make you feel happy? No, because the gift you gave them, they didn't cherish and let the dog eat it. Hello? 
Oh, so the great gift that Jesus gave us on the cross of victory and walking in victory, it's okay that we let the dog eat it? No, you got something to fight for, folks. You fight for what Jesus bought and paid for us. You stand up in the face of adversity and say, man, you want a piece of me? Came to the right place. I am the one who dishes it out. Amen? So look at the person beside you and say, you know, it looks like we've got some things to go home and do. Wives, look at your husbands and say, oh, what muscles you have. Husbands, look at your wife and just go like this. Stand up if you would. And I have my prayer team come down. Now listen to me. Everyone out there watching, listening, listen to me. Jesus loves you. He paid a heavy price for you on the cross of Calvary. Gave up his life for you. For you because he loves you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so right there, wherever you are, if, you're not, don't, if you don't know that you're right with Christ, you don't know that if you died today, you'd go to heaven. You don't know where your relationship is. Well, you can call out on the name of Jesus. And the Bible says you'd be saved. He'd save you. If you just pray a prayer and say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me in your blood. I love you. I want to be a part of the kingdom of God. Right wherever you are, he will touch you if you sincerely pray that from your heart. If you're in the building today, that's why we have prayer team people up here. It's so you can come and pray. Now, maybe, maybe this morning's message has kind of stirred you and, and, and you just know that you're in the middle of a battle. You're in the middle of a fight. Maybe you need some strength. Maybe you need some encouragement. Maybe you need somebody just to set their agreement with you. Well, that's why they're up here to pray with you. And if you, or if you're here and you don't know that your relationship's right with Jesus, man, don't leave this building until you come up here and talk to one of these people, these prayer team people, and, and just get your heart right with Jesus. Amen? Maybe if your friend's with you and you're not sure if they're saved, maybe you need to grab them and say, hey, let's come on, I'll go up the front with you. And I'm just telling you, church, I believe in you. I believe we're fighters. Can I have an amen? Are you, are you a fighter? I believe we're a fighter. I believe, I believe that, that in the days ahead, we're going to see all kinds of great victories. Amen? And so I just want to encourage you. I just want to encourage you. Learn how to fight and win. Take these, these points to heart and see what great things God will do for you. Amen? So I'm going to pray over you and bless you. Father, I just declare right now in Jesus' name, I thank you that these people are fighters. Lord, they're not going down without a fight. I declare, Lord God, that we rise up as the army of God and we defeat the enemy and, and, and everything that he's around. Lord, you begin to show us things in our own lives as you teach us to do battle and as you teach us to war. Lord, you begin to just show us things that we need to change within our own life, things that we need to, to, to alter so that we can see victory in life, so that we, we will know, Lord, the things that we're thinking or the things that we're saying or whatever we're doing, Lord, we change them. So that, Lord, we become great warriors for you. And, Lord, I ask you to bless them. I ask you to just minister to them. And, Lord God, that you keep your hand upon us all this week. Lord, that you just let us have people that we can uh, speak to, encourage. But, Lord God, I thank you that your hand of, of sovereignness is over us all right here in this valley, Lord, and all the surrounding areas. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. God bless you, church.